Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Welcome to the show. If you're new to the show, this is a show where millennials talk about stuff millennials care about. In particular, we talk about faith and culture. On the show, on a regular basis, we have guests that are in ministry in some form, and they all happen to be millennials. And we also have this ongoing segment where Byron is hoping and praying that we are turned down for a sponsorship. But it is yet to happen, so we need to get the sponsorship segment out of the way. Byron, I give it to you. Take over. All right. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash millennialpastor. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. How does that feel, Byron? It's better this time. It's fine. I'll, I'll get right. used to it. You don't, you don't feel like you're a corporate sellout? Because millennials really hate institutions and selling out and stuff, so... Again, I kind of like audio audible. Like I have no problem. I like books, so that's fine. My hey. thing is uh, audible like sponsors like almost every podcast I listen to, which is a lot. <laughs> so, I mean, I I take in a lot of podcasts a week, and they're almost always sponsored by Audible. So it seems fine to me. I'm not too worried about it. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't think we're selling our souls by by being sponsored by Audible. Like, there's much worse companies out there. Well, I'm working on some more sponsorships, Byron. Um, and so maybe, just maybe, next week, you'll get to read a rejection letter where someone says, you guys are a joke. But f- from, from this point on, well, at least up to this point, I should say, we are so legit. You can't even make fun of us. We actually are sponsored and people listen to this podcast. So, but maybe we'll which is Which is weird, though, right? <laughs> I mean, I still think it's weird that people listen and that we're sponsored, but no, no doubt. It's fun, though. I'm, I'm enjoying it. So let's keep doing it. No doubt. Yeah. So speaking of which, we have a guest who is already laughing. I don't know if you guys uh, heard that already, but our guest this morning is yet again another millennial. So like normal, we want uh, we want her to introduce herself and mother, please forgive me. I will ask an adult woman how old she is. So can you hear us? Let's see. Are you on the are you on the show? Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? I can hear you. So give us your full name. And then I'm again, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask for your age, but it's kind of a reason for it. So my name is Latia Frazier and I'm 35. 35. So that means you're kind of an I I know, again, forgive me. You're you're one of the first millennials is how I'll say that. I won't call you an old millennial. (laughs) You're one of the you're one of the pioneer millennials. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my mom is gonna yell at me after she listens to this sorry mom um and where are you located Latia? i'm currently located in kansas city missouri but that's not where you grew up right no i grew up in new york city so what brought you to kansas city um it's been 11 years and i'm still trying to figure that out uh <laughs> yeah i'll go with that it's Maybe a mission we'll... field i it's don't know mission... It's a mission field. Well, we're going to get into your mission field ministry experience and all that stuff in a second. But before we do, we like to have fun because the show uh, the show pokes fun at stereotypes that millennials have. Um, and so with every guest uh, minus, I think, our first two guests, we have played this game. How millennial are you? And during this section segment of the show, we we give you questions based on real life interactions that we've had just as young people living in this country, or based on news headlines that we have read. I actually, Byron one time asked me, he said, dude, where do you get this stuff? I have an alert. You can set up a Google alert or an Apple News alert or whatever. Just type in the word millennial. And literally on a daily basis, there's another headline with the word millennial in it. And most oftentimes, it is some sort of negative stereotype about us that they're pushing. So super fun, super annoying. But anyways... Uh, you, you had a you had a fun question for me about this section, and I really want to talk about it later. But are you ready to play this game? How millennial are you, Latia? I'm super ready. Let's do you go. Th- do you think you're a millennial? Do you think you're pretty stereotypically millennial or no? I think I am millennial, but I also know that I'm an older or more seasoned millennial. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that <laughs> later. I'm going to pay for that. Really. All right, Byron, you ready? Yep, let's do it. All right, rapid fire. Latia, do you know how to use a stove? Yes. Did you know that we ruin stoves 
that was talked about on the Amy episode. According to Forbes, yeah. we, we ruin stoves by eat, taking order out or ordering Uber Eats or whatever all the time. I've done that too, but I use the stove. When's the last time you used your stove? Um, yesterday, actually. Awesome. All right, go burn. Do you know how to write a check, like a paper check? Yes, I do. Hmm. Okay. Do you I use don't... them? Do you use them for anything besides, like maybe paying your rent? No, and I don't use them anymore to pay my rent. That stopped in October, but up until October, the only way I could do it was to write a check, but then I moved, and now we do everything online. Love it. When's the last time you wrote a check, then? I'm super curious now. Uh, So then it would be October. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so let's see. What, generally speaking, have you most recently ruined in this country? What if I'm most recently ruined in this country? Mm. Church? Church? Oh, snap. I think we're going to have to get into that more later. This is based off of, uh, I don't know if you saw BuzzFeed and a couple other places put out. Millennials ruined this in 2018. There's just this ongoing every year thing that we ruin a list of things. I don't remember church being on it, but I think we're going to have to talk about that more later. All right. Have you ever used... Hashtag blessed on social media. If yes, in what context? No. (laughs) Fair enough. How much time do you spend at your local coffee shop? Oh, I would. I would like work there if I had a job that I could just write and drink chai, chai tea, not coffee. But, you know, it's okay. Still, it's the coffee shop. Did you know that millennials spend more money at coffee shops than they do on their own retirement funds? That's kind of sad, but we could spend money on worse things. So I, su- okay. I suppose. But that's that's a very yeah. recent news headline that I found very interesting yeah. and noteworthy. That might, might also just talk about the fact that coffee is ridiculously expensive now. That's true. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Next question. Do you buy stuff at a real brick and mortar stores or just on Amazon? I buy stuff at a real store and on Amazon. Okay. Fair right. enough. Are you capable of face-to-face interaction with other human beings? Yes, I do it every day. <laughs> You're able to look someone in the eyes and talk to them? I can. Good, because according to the internet, millennials don't know how to do that. So I'm glad to hear it, though. Breaking stereotypes. <laughs> All right. Do you put avocado on everything? Ew. No, I can't even. <laughs> the texture of avocado is disgusting. <laughs> You and Byron share that. So true. It's not disgusting. I like, I mean, to- I like toast. Maybe jelly? Butter? Je- jelly know. or butter on no. toast? Those are good. Yeah. My child will straight up eat avocado by itself. I just sli- slice it into little chunks and he'll just, he'll down it like, like it's not. So I guess my kid's a millennial too. Yeah. Mm. Is this your oldest son? No, this is my youngest son. He He'll just, okay. if I cut up. Uh, an avocado he'll just he'll go to town on it It, he loves it it's great all right child's nasty just saying no he's not i love him to death but no rude so next question how have you most recently ruined the economy um i don't know if you've heard that that's an ongoing plight millennials apparently have ruined the economy so how have you most recently done that i think i've done that by buying reusable things you know so we don't buy Things that you throw away all the time. So we're keeping things. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So you're not the ideal consumer. No. So, so the entire economy. You've ruined all yeah. of it. You ruined everything, Latia. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question. How many times in the last 24 hours have you used your phone as a phone? And the example would be making phone calls. Not texting, not emails, not Facebook or other social media. Just making a phone call. Maybe twice. In the last 24 hours? Yeah, maybe twice. That's hilarious. That's the biggest critique I've heard recently of of young people is that they don't actually use their phones to be phones, which is kind of true, but I don't really have an issue with that. I'm okay with that. Texting is a new thing, though. Like, there's that's a that's a phone use. It just didn't yeah, exist so before. If you, if so, you like, count texting, I I use it a lot. Well, well, you guys... That would be my argument, though, that it's did... actually using the phone in a proper way because text didn't exist before everyone had cell phones. 
Well, there's that video that someone posted and it became viral of those two kids trying to use a rotary phone. And then, oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then the internet just made fun of the kids. And it was just kind of the silly moment of uh, the reason they don't know how to use a rotary phone is because no one taught them A and B. Right. Who, who even owns rotary phones anymore? I mean, those, those are in museums now, basically. <laughs> What's well, the thing? Like, there's all kinds of old technology that if we looked at as millennials, if we looked at them and been like, what is that? It's not just younger kids, you know? There's all kinds of things that just got phased out. Yeah. Our, so. gen- our generation, I think, has grown up redefining what a phone is. And that's kind of a huge facet factor of just our existence and our shaping. But you said something uh, that was really interesting before this uh, podcast began recording. Let's see. You and, you and I were talking about it. And you said something super interesting. Uh, <clears throat> for those of you that can't see Latia or don't know who Latia is, um, she is African-American. And so Latia basically said, are these like, black millennial questions or are these just stereotype millennial questions and for me i just said i said you know what i don't even know so latia what do you think do you think those were stereotypes for more uh white millennials or those all encompassing for all millennials in general i think uh in terms of the technology question i think it is everybody but like the avocado toast, I think that's more of a white millennial question. <laughs> but I, I, I would have to say that I don't speak on behalf of like all African Americans everywhere. You know, I feel like I have to say that all the time. So just say that. That's true. But that's part of what's fun about this game is we're confronting stereotypes. Um, yeah. Part of the reason we even do this game, part of the reason we talk about this podcast is there is so many millennials and they're so diverse. We are the largest generation on the planet. And so to confront these things is to basically take away the labeling and to try to maybe get to the heart of the fact that we're a diverse people group and we have lots of different ideas and thoughts about things. But what makes us all unique, um, at least on this podcast, is that we're all kind of unified and we're working towards a common goal um, based on the fact that Everyone on this podcast has either been in or is currently in ministry. So uh, before we get more down the rabbit hole of talking more about race and some of the stuff that you and I kind of talked about before you came on this podcast, could you tell us a little bit about what you currently do um, in your education, in your training to, to get where you're at? Yeah, so I have a Bachelor's of Science in English Education um, from Nyack College in New York, and then I have a Master's of Divinity at Naz- um, from Nazarene Theological Seminary. And then I'll be starting my Doctorate of Ministry this August. Another person that's far smarter than Byron. And, and Josiah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, Josiah. Mean, I, I don't care if you say I'm done. That's fine. But you're on the same level as me. So don't. Dude, you just missed what Latia said. Okay, so me and, hear, La- yeah. me and Latia... We met at this amazing thing, this, this thing, it's called uh, Ministers and Mentoring. A little shout out to our denomination. It's this pilot program. <gasps> yeah, it's this pilot program where they brought all these young people that are in ministry together to just simply be together, to be mentored, loved on, trained, but to also be supported and realize that they're not alone in what they're doing. Because whether you realize it or not, there's not a whole lot of us. There's not a whole lot of millennials in leadership um, in the church. So it was, uh, it's this ongoing joke with Brent and also Latia and some of the other people that have been on the show so far that whenever Josiah doesn't know a word because it's so big, the joke is, Hey, I didn't go to seminary. Can you tell me what that (laughs) word means? So at all these cohorts, and we're, I want to talk a little bit about that with Latia too, because it's kind of our, how we met story. Um, every time someone like we have a workshop teacher, we'll have a lecturer, they'll say a big word half the people look at me i just look at brent and i'm like dude tell me what that word meant and it's just this never-ending joke (laughs) because i didn't go to seminary so that's probably going to be a joke that stays with me for the rest of my life until i actually go to seminary there's still hope for you gotta go it's okay i I gotta go i'll be honest there were some big theological words we did learn in college that i don't remember what they mean anymore it's just there's a lot of that i look i read books and go ah crap i better look that up on google Good thing there's – I use the Kindle uh, word search built-in thing. It's brilliant. Oh, that's a good idea. I yeah. love it because then you just look it up on the fly. 
But anyways, me and Latia have a fun little joke between us because the first time we met, we were trying to remember everybody's name and I was looking at how everyone's name was spelled. Um, and so I don't know if you remember this, Latia. I said something. I remember. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell me your your thoughts and how you remember it. But basically, it's like, Latia, we almost have like the same name. My name is Josiah. Her name's Latia. And you gave me quite the look. You're like, uh. <laughs> Like what? What are you talking about? Well, what's that again? Like our last three letters, I A H. That's a very distinct letter, you know, coupling or whatever. So it's like we have the same name. And then what did you say? What was your response? Oh, Do you remember? I don't remember that. Well, basically, after all that, it's like we have the same name. You said it's like we're twins. You remember that? Oh yes, yes. So that was basically the start of this funny thing where me and Latia refer to each other as our twins. Every time yeah. on social media we interact, we just say like hashtag twinning or what up twin, because there's there's maybe a little bit of irony with that. Wouldn't you say, Latia? Yeah, because we couldn't be more different, right? <laughs> Except that we're millennials. That's, that's one of the main uh, common factors about us. I mean, I'm a bit taller than you. I'm a bit... Uh, I'll say whiter paler. than you, That's a little definitely... paler, a little bit paler than you. I mean, we we don't we're not twins by any. If you if we were standing next to each other and we told you we were twins, you would look at us like we were on something. But it was just kind of <laughs> fraternal, you know. Yeah, we're frater- we're really <laughs> really fraternal fraternal twins. But we're gonna get into more like, of this. Has a part. <laughs> what was that? What'd you say? I have a part. I said and years apart. We're years apart from each other. Oh, how, we're not even the same age. I thought you were talking about my yeah. hair for a second. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're about to hurt my feeling. Yeah, we're we're a couple years apart. So, obviously, either I was cooking way longer or something. I don't know. But we're we're not even remotely twins. But at this cohort, we got to spend time together with not just me and Latia, but a number of our other guests like Amy and Hunter and Brent. And we're going to have even more of these uh, cohort members on this show because it's this awesome thing that our denomination is doing to try to better equip us for the future because church landscape is ever changing. And it's this thing that we kind of need to come to grips with and have some serious conversations about what it means to be people of faith living in culture, which, again, is what this is all about. So in a moment, we're going to dive deeper into this conversation with Latia and we're going to hear what she has to say about stuff like church and to hear what it means to be a person of color in the church and to, to strive for things like social justice. And, and also, you're going to hear about living with a disability because Latia also daily uh, has her own unique challenges in being a minister because she is also physically disabled as well. But before we talk to Latia and hear more about this good stuff, once again, Byron gets to swallow some pride. Let's hear from our sponsor, Byron. All right. So for you, the listeners of the Millennial Pastor Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So because today's topic is uh, race and social justice, I would like to recommend a book that was actually given to me by one of our past guests, Ryan Alba. And it is the autobiography of Nelson Mandela called The Long Walk to Freedom. Um, it's an excellent book. But it is a, you can get it downloaded now for free from Audible and try that out and just check out their service. But it's a great book and you should definitely check it out. The link will be in the description of this podcast. All right, we did it. Let's get to the good stuff. All right, Latia, so then let's get to it with every guest. We like to ask what they think of the church, what they think it is, and then also specifically why they are still part of it. I mean, stats show... Millennials being the biggest generation on the planet are also the most absent from participation within these communities. So what do you think? What's the church? Why are you still part of it? So I think ideally the church is a group of people um, that are gathered around a common cause. So for most, it would be uh, Jesus, but how that would be experienced in the world. Um, I think that many millennials are leaving the church because they find the church to be irrelevant. So it's really good to talk about um, the 12 disciples or Jesus or whatever the kingdom of God is going to look like. But when you don't apply it and what it's going to look like in my real life, then it's not going to be 
tangible, something that I want to spend an hour, two hours, if you're at a black church, six hours <laughs> of my Sunday. Uh, let's see. There. Let's see. I'm coming to your neighborhood in a, in a couple of weeks. If there's a black church that you would be willing to bring me to, I actually I've never been. I would love to go because I've heard expressions like that. And I just laugh because, like, I would like to actually know what that looks like and experience that. But so six hours, six hours. huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that's why I think and because for at least historically for African-Americans and other groups of color, social justice has been linked to how uh, I live out my faith and many others. So when the church doesn't link those two, because we are worried about what others may think, we're worried about um, offering, we're worried about whatever, um, this is when you lose the millennial generation. So when you hear these words like social justice, obviously um, talking heads partisan politics can be attached to that nonsense and in a lot of ways detracts away from its significance but is that maybe what keeps you connected to the church is you're trying to help the church be more aware or active in things like social justice so that's one thing and then two at least in my um personal experience if i if i'm not connected to a church body then I am, because the work of social justice can be hard and can be depressing. So you need that uh, community of people that remind you again why this is important, that I'm doing it because this is what living out the Great Commission or the way of love is supposed to look. And so some clarifying questions. You are currently a pastor. You're a licensed minister of the gospel with the Nazarene Church, correct? Yeah, so I am, in Nazarene language, an ordained elder in the Church of Nazarene. Which is a big deal time, big stuff. So are you, are you currently pastoring? And I, this is kind of a loaded question. I think you know why, but are, are you currently pastoring? So I am not currently pastoring in a traditional church. I've, I've never been a pastor in a traditional church, even when I was a pastor at a church. Um, but right now I work at a homeless shelter for women who are experiencing um, addiction and homelessness. And I'm a chaplain at a, a local trauma hospital. So in your opinion, from, from your, these experiences, do you still see yourself as pastoring within the church? Would you say that? Yeah. I would say that I still pastor within the church that um, I I'm almost positive I encounter more people on a weekly basis than the typical pastor would of a church, um, whether that be in the hospital bed, um, visiting patients that are sick, or in a homeless shelter, helping people on their journey toward recovery, or as part of my social justice work. Which is crazy, because I also mentioned, um, just before we ask these questions, about what the church is to you and how you're part of it. You also um, are a little bit physically limited and you still sound crazy busy. So could you just tell us a little bit about um, your, your disability and what that means for your day-to-day -day living? Yeah, so I was born with cerebral palsy. So I don't have a, you know, I've had to learn my whole life how to get around in the world. My uncle says, get around in a world that will never be completely accessible to me. So um, I use my good legs. That's what I call my crutches. And, um, and then just uh, my life in Kansas City has to be pretty scheduled because it doesn't have a good mass transit. But in New York City, there's a bus every two seconds. So it really just depends on um, where I'm at. So do you use uh, like Uber a lot or do you still try to make the public transportation work for you? So I, I use Uber depending on where I'm going, but then there's also what we call paratransit. So as long as there is some semblance of a mass transit system, there has to be an equivalent paratransit system. So for people with disabilities who, who can't use the regular routes. So you grew up in church um, with a physical disability and you're, you're African-American. And before I 
I get to this next question. I actually just want to ask because Byron and I grew up in a community where maybe like a percent or two of the community um, was African-American. And then there was probably even more, I don't know, 10, 20, 30% of the rest of the community was Hispanic. And then beyond that, um, that might be high, honestly, less than 20%. Probably at the time it's changed somewhat, but when we were kids, it was pretty low. It was a sea of white. (laughs) So the rest of the, the rest of the population was white. Um, but before I ask, I'm going to ask a question before I ask a question, make it really complicated. Um, I, I have a, I have a guy that goes to my church and I asked him the same question too, because he's African-American. Is there, um, when talking about this stuff, cause I was writing a blog post and I just asked him, I said, what's the most respectful way to refer to your race? Should I say black? Should I say African-American? Should I say person of color? Um, and so I was just really curious cause I wanted to, to be as respectful as possible to not, you know, step on something I didn't know about and cause any sort of, um, bad feelings, hard feelings that I honestly was just unaware would have possibly been there. But for you, is there like, is there some sort of, cause I really, I don't want to be labeling people, but when we're talking about issues of race, I want to know the best way to talk about it in, in the way that's the most respectful. Yeah. So I prefer the term African American, but I also use person of color. Um, typically um, when there are more people of color than african-american right so it's a way to unify instead of saying here are the people who identify as african-american here are the people who identify as latinx here are the people who identify as white uh not white but as <laughs> white wouldn't work there um, but so it's a way to unify in that way so then I, I guess I'd ask growing up in New York, did you go to, you call it black church, but you call it that. I mean, I guess you call that for a reason because sometimes there's like boroughs or whatever, where people go to the churches that most uh, represent their, their race or whatever. But did you grow up in a church that was primarily attended by African-Americans? No, actually. So I didn't grow up in church. I started going when I was around 11 or 12 and the neighborhood church, around me was a church that was very multicultural. The pastor was um, Indian from India. And then we had people from Nigeria. We had people from Puerto Rico. We had people from Trinidad. um, And then uh, people who would identify as African-American. And we had people who uh, are white. So So multicultural church. Yeah. And what do you go to now? Do you go to that same uh, sort of a a, a makeup of of congregation or is it different? No. So I live in Kansas City and um, there is kind of a racial divide still that exists historically. But so I go to a predominantly white church, although they're making efforts to make it a brown church. So that would mean... (laughs) We uh, we don't want to be white and we don't want to be all black, but we want to be somewhere in the middle. So then tell me, what, what do you think happens when we just kind of hang out in our own little corners? Because obviously issues of race are huge. There are huge, huge conversations, national narratives. There are things that people do. But what particularly in the church, um, striving for that diversity can get really messy. It can get kind of complicated. But what's what's the what's the goal? Why why would we want to strive for that as opposed to just kind of sitting in our own little corners with people that look and think just like us? Yeah, I think that it doesn't open our minds to the vast world around us, and then it allows us to not be confront not to confront the biases that we all hold. Um, and that's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is supposed to be something that's an alter- alternative narrative to the to the larger narrative of society. And I think that's another reason why people, in particular millennials, have stopped going to church is if if you're no different than people who would not name themselves as Christian, why do I want to be a part of this group when I can go and do what I've been doing? So basically, a lot of millennials can see what the church does or doesn't do as doing the same thing as the brokenness in society, but just doing it in Jesus name, which in some ways makes that so much worse, so much worse. Right. 
So do you think that the church and Christians in general should be at the forefront of confronting racism and at the forefront of, of social justice efforts? Yeah. And I, I think um, social justice has been a, a term that has become polarized in some ways, but really social justice is about caring for the human in front of you. Um, so it's about providing food for those who who are hungry, but not just, oh, here's a meal for today, but looking at the systems that, that have caused poverty. Um, and so I think if we're following Jesus, Jesus did that very same thing. Um, so if we were following Jesus, then we should be the people at the forefront instead of the ones kicking and screaming at the ends. Well, so oftentimes I, I feel, and Byron and I have talked at length about some of these conversations, um, that we like to pick and choose the parts of Jesus that we like to follow, and we like to maybe exclude other parts. In fact, I don't. you've seen it. You laughed hysterically when I showed you the cover of my book, um, because I, I think you got it. Um, but if, if you haven't seen the cover of my book, it's Hipster Jesus, and he's white, but what's probably the most ironic part of of the whole racial conversation is that this is take all the hipster stuff away from the cover. Um, and what you have is basically just a very white Jesus. And that picture of Jesus has been in almost every church I've ever seen. And it's not just this denomination. It's just every church I've been in. It has a very similar depiction of a very white Jesus. And so what I wanted to do is kind of confront the fact that so oftentimes in our own cultures, in our own uh, races and ethnicities, we just want to make Jesus a little bit more like us instead right. of trying to be formed in his image. So it's more comfortable to be, oh, look, Jesus kind of looks like me. He has the same hair color, same eye color, same skin complexion. And so to poke fun at that, you know, I made him look as hipster and millennial as possible. <laughs> but it has gotten I, me in lots of trouble. I mean, the church I grew up in, we, we didn't have a picture of or idea of what Jesus looked like anywhere. Um, the focal point for us was the cross. And so it wasn't until I started attended, attending more predominantly white churches where that's a, a thing. <laughs> no doubt. And to, to have those conversations, what's interesting for me um, is I've been, I've been having a lot of those conversations with um, some of the, what I would call seasoned saints and established church members. And, you know, they, they had these pictures in their churches and nothing about it was intentionally or, or overtly racist, in my opinion. The people, at least, that I've talked to, the people that I, I grew up with, like, there was no sort of intentional or overtly racist undertones with having white Jesus. But when they're confronted with a picture that, you know, I, I was actually, it was an Amazon review at one point, and then they took it down, which is hilarious to me. They said that I was being blasphemous because I was desecrating the image of Jesus with with my book cover. Um, and what I what I responded with was this is an artist's rendition. This is an artist's rendering interpretation of who Jesus is. If you take down that hipster stuff, th there's even more reasons that we could pretend to get all bent out of shape and say it's blasphemous. I wouldn't call it blasphemous, but not honest interpretation of what actually uh, um, a first century Jew living in Galilee would look like but when we're having to confront some of these uh, like you just you said a, a couple moments ago biases we may not even realize that we have then suddenly some something kind of happens and we start to realize oh snap that's something that's kind of important maybe i need to consider what that looks like and and, and consider how i've been formed or shaped or or thought for for the majority of my life. So you, you, you did some of this stuff and you confronted some things too. I was watching you on social media, but the reaction was not great. You, it was the poor people's campaign. I think it was called. Yeah. Um, I saw, I'm pretty sure people were being arrested over what you're doing. So this, this would be, I guess I, I can, I consider it a work of social justice, but tell us a little bit about what you were doing and how you were welcomed or received. Yeah, so the Poor People's Campaign actually started with Dr. King. Um, and he was, with a whole bunch of other people, were organizing the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, but then the year before, he got assassinated. And so there have been a number of um, times where people have started to restart that work. And then um, 
few years ago, it's been restarted. So by Reverend Dr. William Barber and Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris. Um, so Reverend Dr. William Barber is African-American and Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris is, is white. So again, it's a way to change the narrative of this country that people who seem different can't work together. Um, and so it's um, in last May started 40 days of nonviolent civil disobedience in the tradition of Dr. King. And so part of that is because we believe that it's more than just offering a meal, a meal to someone who's hungry, although of course we would do that, but it's confronting the systems that have made someone poor, confronting the systems that uh, of systemic racism, confronting the things uh, about militarism, everything that we do and how we're shaped has been formed around war and ways that we interact violently. And then again, this wasn't a, an original one of Dr. King, but I think it would have been if he were still alive, which is environmental degradation because we, we don't treat our planet well. So um, part of the 40 days was to bring that to the forefront. So 41, I believe, different states at the same time went to their local government. So I went to, we gathered in Topeka and we were singing songs of the movement and we were asking that, because uh, each week was focused on one of the four evils. Um, we were asking that our well, government- Hold, hold on, what were, yeah. the, what were the four different evils that you were confronting? So the four different evils and their subsections under them, but the four main ones were poverty, um, systemic racism, militarism or the war economy, and um, environmental degradation. Got it. So stuff you're kind of, I got it. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no worries. Um, and so part of that meant um, people who would be willing to be arrested if, if that came up. So we, we staged some nonviolent protest and, um, and some were arrested because of it. So we've done, we stood in front of, um, a person who was running for governor and he, he ended up losing. Um, and then we blocked the street. We stood in front of, um, was it department of children and family services? Because a lot of times kids are taken away from their parents and some of it is, is valid obviously, but some of it is also because people are poor and they have to have more than one job and they can't afford um, child care so an older child is is looking after their younger siblings and so because of that they are then taken away and it um, disproportionately affects um, people of color so and that's what would be um, uh, that would that would be what would be labeled systematic racism then if I'm correct right correct yes so you you had so, said you had said before this uh recording before we got on this podcast you wanted to to reject the system and pursue be a people that pursue love so is that what you're doing is that what you see uh you're kind of rejecting the system and pursuing love even if it costs you being handcuffed yeah so uh that was an interesting experience because i had never been arrested before it's not something that i typically do but um it came to a decision of a lot of times we as Christians say we support these things with our mouths, but we're not willing to put our bodies on the line. And so I said, okay, there are all these people who are willing to do the same thing. Um, so I'm going to do it. And so having the cops figure out how to arrest me was interesting. Right? <laughs> Cause I have crutches and, um, and I was, a, I was in Washington DC the first time and it was like, torrential rain and they were going to have a tornado which isn't typical on the east coast and so um we and one thing we do is we don't leave people behind so i was with another uh lady who also lives with a disability and so i said okay but um, i'm not leaving her and so the cops ended up getting two wheelchairs so that they could wheel us 
um, because it would be faster. Oh, and so I said, so then they, they brought one for me, and I said, well, I'm not getting in it until I know for sure she gets one. And so we, um, but then that gave me an opportunity to talk to the cops and because um, they wanted to know why we would be out here doing this. Um, and part of it for me at that time was healthcare, which um, as a person with a disability, I'm often denied some healthcare because I have a pre-existing condition. Oh, my Lanta. Uh, That's infuriating to hear you have to say that. Oh, my Lanta. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. Ugh. So, um, so it's really all connected, right? Uh, and so that's why uh, it was worth it to me to be arrested. And then I've done it twice now. I'm pretty sure I'll do it again. But <laughs> the intention behind being arrested is not just to be arrested, but it's to say you have these many people who are willing to stand up for something. Um, and it's not about being right or left, but it's about right and wrong. And so people not having health care is wrong. People um, living in poverty, working two jobs and still can't feed their children is wrong. So it doesn't, it doesn't really, um, it crosses racial lines, it crosses political lines, and it says we need to see the person as human. Um, I think we've lost that ability in our society. Well, we're much more comfortable with labeling than we are uh, naming, because when you label something, it's a thing, right? You label things, and then it's impersonal, and it's not something you have to care as much about. But when you know a person's name, then their humanity becomes apparent to you, and you realize, oh, this is a person. You're not just some some African-American. You're Latia. Like, that changes the dynamic altogether. So when we actually stand uh, together to do – and for the record, I'm curious – what were the charges they were arresting you for? Like, what, what did they say you're under arrest for? So because we, uh, we were blocking an entrance, so it was trespassing. And because we, they gave us three warnings to disperse, we were unlawfully gathering, uh, which as far as I'm concerned, we still have the right to gather peacefully, but we were unlawfully gathering and we were blocking entrances. Um, oh. One time we were headed up to the um, the state building in Washington, D.C. And they had like two lines thick of cops. So we couldn't even get close to the building, but we, we still got charged for blocking an entrance. And I thought that was ironic since they were the ones blocking the entrance. But Seriously. So just basically you were there and you got arrested. Yeah. And I refused to move when they told me to. So they had to put you in a, a wheelchair because they had to obviously grab your wrists, which normally are attached. I mean, you're holding crutches most of the time right. so that they could right. handcuff you. Right. And then they had to keep track of your crutches, obviously, because that be could become a whole thing that they could get in trouble. For. What, a, what a headache. Oh, my goodness. So then, uh, well, actually, before I ask you this last question, uh, it makes me, it reminds me, Byron, you've been quiet. Do you remember that one time you almost got arrested for protesting? I mean, yeah, but that's, that's nothing to do with anything like this. <laughs> I know. I just, it's I, a dumb, it was a joke and it was stupid <laughs> and I, I'm not ashamed of it, but like you can pay, like that's not in compared. It's not, it's not a comparison, but it just occurred to oh. me. I'm like, Byron, you protested something once, but it was the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. You... Well, I was, my friends and I in college were told to disperse because we were trespassing, which we didn't realize we were trespassing because we were on the public sidewalk, but apparently a company owned a portion of it. And the reason we were in the area we were in was to not block traffic because it was a joke. We protested piracy <laughs> at the Star of India in San Diego, which was never used for piracy, and it was a dumb joke. It's, um, it's literally a floating museum. Like, you can go on this ship, and it was yeah, in that movie. Yeah, cool. I, I it was super cool. Master Commander in... is what it was in. Yeah. They also have you... a submarine, which is really cool. I suggest you go check it out if you're in San Diego. It's really interesting. But it was a joke, and oh. the police did get called. And I did that as oh. an RA representing Point Loma Nazarene University. So I actually almost got into some trouble because the oh police got called on my official hall event. Uh, my so... boss thought it was great, but uh, there was—I mean, it was—it was brief, but there was some com there was a conversation with the fact that the police got called an event that I—it was representing the school. But mm -hmm. obviously, that has nothing to do with any social justice or anything 
But we, Not... we, we did make fun of Disney a little bit because Pirates of the Caribbean had just come out. I think the second one was coming out soon, and it was like a huge hit and all that. So we like, yeah, it was it was dumb. It, nothing to do with this. This is real. <laughs> this is like an important thing. Ours was a dumb joke from college kids. So dumb. Well, I was just thinking, I've never cl- come close to being arrested. Jesus was arrested. Latia is apparently too legit because she's been arrested twice. And Byron, you're the closest one to actually being arrested for something, but for something just so dumb. It was so dumb that you almost got arrested. Well, and we, and like, it's different than blocking a street because they're actually trying to make a point. Like, we literally got in trouble because I had everybody move back into a certain area. So we weren't, because it's downtown San Diego on a a beautiful Saturday. Like, there was a ton of people down there. And so I was like, hey, we'll just get out of the way so we don't get in trouble. And that's what got us in trouble. It was all it was all power and money motivated, right? I mean, in both circumstances, with what happened oh, with Latia, it was, it, was, it was power. No, 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 no. I'm just being for real. Like, <laughs> the reason that, that these issues happen is that the Star of India didn't want their name uh, shamed or, you know, attached to actual piracy. Like, it was just the reason that Which they... Which makes sense, but, like... No, not your motivation. I'm talking about the Star of India, and I'm talking about the police in, in, in D.C. Like, the reason that so many times people like Latia are standing up is because the system is corrupt, and it's because people are craving power and they're money motivated and they don't want to, to actually deal with the realities of what a person actually has to go through. So, but you, you <laughs> I, I was actually trying to be like nice to you, Byron. I was going to be done making fun of you. No. But I've, yeah. I mean, it's a funny story, but I mean like it, you know, it wasn't real. I wish it was a, I wish as an RA at Point Loma, I led kids on to, to an actual, like something at the border. Like there was people at the time, who were getting arrested for serving communion at the border. Like, I wish I was a part of that and got arrested doing that. That would have been awesome because it's something I believe in, that people, just because they're on the other side of this man-made border, they're still human beings. Exactly what she's talking about. It's the person in front of you. They're not just a thing. They are human beings. So, so to, to, see the per- to see the person in front of you, though, and this is, uh, this is the last thing i'll ask latia because i really am curious what you would have to say um if 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 there's someone listening to this podcast maybe they're a millennial maybe they're disillusioned with the church maybe your story really resonated with with them but maybe we also have some established seasoned saints listening um so latia what do you think if you could just give like uh this is why it's so important this is what can happen when we reject a system and pursue love by actually seeing the person in front of us like what would you what would you uh, what would you say to that person that's kind of wondering what this is all about and maybe is a little nervous or I mean, what what could they hope to gain from doing something that actually could cost them something like being arrested yeah. and wheeled away? So I think that it really is an attempt to change the the national. I mean, not only in our country but around the world, the narrative that has been so ingrained in us and others that people that are different can't, can't um, be friends and, and do life together, that people from urban centers and um, people who are from the country can't, um, can't be friends and do life together. Um, because really, those issues, all of them affect everybody, regardless of uh, race, and wherever you find yourself because there's 140 million poor people in this country um so and it, it includes everybody so it touches everybody and it's not just uh people of color or it's not just uh because people are lazy which is one of the the narratives that are out there but really it's a lack of resources and it's the the way the system was designed was to keep some people at the top and others at the bottom. Um, and I think if we're not careful, um, that's what the church also does. And so we've been infected by the same virus that the world has of trying to maintain power when really Jesus teaches us to give our power away. Absolutely. If If there was anything Jesus harped on the most, he said that to be the church, to be the people, um, to, to be his followers, to be the, the people of God, we're supposed to love God with our everything, and we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, and if we just started making incremental steps to do that, uh, we could maybe confront the brokenness of the system and offer 
um, a countercultural alternative. So, Latia, I super appreciate it. This has been super fun. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast to talk about some some pretty significant conversations. I hope I hope you also enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it's been fun. Good to meet you too, Byron. Yeah, nice to meet. Thank you for coming. Been one time or another that would be awesome hey i do have a quick question if you could i don't know if this is an easy thing to answer um if if we have listeners who really want to get involved in some of these things is there like what's the easiest way to get in touch with like the movement you were talking about or like how do they yeah so really jump in go online and go to the poor people's campaign it's a national call for moral revival if you uh, google it it would be easy um, you'd be able to find it what happened the national movement's coming out of dc but really there are uh different states that are joining this national movement so in whatever state you're in you can hook up to the poor people's campaign and then um, they will be able to help you with the local issues that are in your area and then how that also affects uh life nationally awesome we'll we'll be sure to just link it in the description on our podcast i'll find that i'll make sure it's the right one latia and we'll put it in our description in the podcast so that wherever you're listening you should be able to go find the description and click on the link so you can see what is happening in your neck of the woods sounds good get arrested with me why not (laughs) come and get get arrested that's the new slogan of this podcast hey come get arrested with me because jesus so (laughs) jesus would would do it so well thanks again latia um this is the uh this is the end of the podcast folks so we appreciate you listening we we would love to hear what you think about this if you're a part of this poor people's campaign if you have thoughts and concerns you can find us on all of the uh, social media outlets, they're in the, the description. You can support us by just listening to the podcast, but you can also uh, rate and review our podcast so that it actually shows up so more people can hear these awesome stories of, of people like Latia who are doing very good but also very difficult work to reject the system and per- pursue love. So if you want to hear more about, about millennials, about what they think, or you just like hearing about the faith-based work they're doing in culture like Latia, then please be sure to join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Until next time, thanks for listening.